Welcome to season one of the Comfortably Hungry podcast, where yesterday's dinner is tomorrow's history. If you're a peckish person who is curious about the history of food and drink, then you're in the right place. I'm Sam Bilton, a food historian, writer and presenter, and each season I will be joined by some hungry guests to discuss a variety of topics centred around a specific theme. It can't have escaped your notice that Britain, and indeed much of the world, is in a pretty rubbish place financially speaking. Just about everyone is feeling the pinch from the cost of living crisis at the moment. So that is why I have chosen austerity as the theme for this season. Now I'm not here to provide money or energy saving tips, as there are plenty of other podcasts and websites doing that very well already. What I plan to do with my guests this season is look at how people have coped or reacted in times of austerity in the past. We'll be exploring everything from food riots, heroic ingredients and the origins of some popular energy-saving devices. Although we are living in straitened times, there is no reason why the tradition of the comfortably hungry potluck supper can't continue, especially as the dishes provided are virtual after all. They may well be on the frugal side, but they will undoubtedly be delicious. So to whet everyone's appetites, I've invited my guests to bring along a virtual dish inspired by their topic. Welcome to the second part of the Tribe episode, hosted by myself and Dr Neil Bussery from the British Food History Podcast and author of books on the history of sugar and Elizabeth Raffald. During the last episode, we looked at how tripe is viewed by other nations, particularly Italy, thanks to insights from food writer and Guardian columnist Rachel Roddy. Did Rachel's description of tripe cooked in tomato sauce scented with mint or deep fried tripe known as Lancashire calamari sway you towards trying it? Do let Neil and I know in the comments or on social media. You can find our details in the show notes along with links to Neil's podcast and books. Today's episode has more of a British flavour where Neil investigates the best way to cook tripe. Whereas in the past, tripe dishes graced the tables of well-to-do gentlemen like Samuel Pepys, by the 20th century I think it's fair to say it was very much regarded as working class food. In Feed the Brute, published in 1925, cookbook author Marjorie Swift noted that tripe by any other name would achieve the popularity it undoubtedly deserves. Indeed, a doctor of my acquaintance puts all his patients suffering from indigestion upon a diet in which tripe stewed in milk figures largely. Marjorie includes tripe in her chapter on economical meals because it is cheap and very palatable, alongside cooking with heads, but that's a whole different podcast. So what is it about tripe that puts people off and how can we change consumer attitudes? It seems to me that it's just a texture and also the fact it's a a weird food. But I've eaten so many weird foods and, you know, I've had testicles, also known as fries or stones sometimes, and I've had brain and they're not strongly flavoured at all. And I would say they're textural and I have no problem with those. So I'm feeling like tripe would just be the same bit like tofu you know it just adds a bit of um well certainly some nutrients extra nutrients to the food and it adds some texture but the taste element is left left to uh, everything else which is i guess why the tripe and onions idea i guess it seems even more drab now yeah but i think the key is surely seasoning with a sauce like that i think you need plenty of things like mace perhaps maybe nutmeg uh, yeah 
Yeah. To really sort of enhance the sauce. I guess that's what it, the problem is, is if you've had a, just a bland white sauce with a few onions in it and the white tripe, which I'm guessing it doesn't have much flavour. Probably unfair, mm. actually. I don't I can't say that. <laughs> I'm trying not to give anything away. <laughs> I guess if it's a, yeah, I think seasoning must be the key. You've got to give put plenty of seasoning in. Maybe try infusing the milk, perhaps with a bit of rosemary or thyme and or bay leaf, even just to just draw out some more flavour and um, make the dish perhaps mm. a little bit more exciting. No, I think I think you're absolutely right there. These simple foods, which England was is good at, you know, plain simple cooking, few ingredients done well and well-seasoned is, is obviously part of that. And it's a skillful thing to do. Exactly. Yes. And we, I think we do have a habit more than other countries. Uh, I could be wrong here, but uh, we do tend to under-season our food. And I think we also cook awful badly because I think that's one of the reasons why people don't like awful. I mean, there was a time when I absolutely thought it revolting and it turned out I was just having, having it cooked poorly at the end of the day. And I learned how to cook. So I cooked it properly and hey, presto. Oh, Actually, it's delicious. So sometimes that's a that's a barrier. Liver that bounces off the wall because it's been overcooked, that sort of thing. That kind of thing, yeah. exactly. Yeah, at school. I remember having that with the tube still in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember doing nice. in home economics, having to cut the tubes out of kidneys and livers and stuff. Yeah. Now that I am showing my age. <laughs> Does Jane Grigson have a recipe for tripe in her foods? I don't from think England? so. Not in English food anyway. Uh, maybe it crops up in other books. Well, she has Andriette recipes in her pork and charcuterie. I think Elizabeth David has some tripe recipes in French provincial cooking. They crop up, but no one's singing about it. The only person I can find to, to be singing about it is Fergus Henderson, really. Yeah, in terms of modern cookbooks, for sure. I think once we got past post-war, it becomes less common. Although they, they are still in, I think, 50s, 60s, you'll still find recipes in books because you could still get it quite, mm. I'm guessing it was reasonably widely available across the country. The thing is, it wasn't people now associate it with an, as a being a northern food and almost a northern speciality, mm. as you said, uh, Lancashire mm-hmm. calamari. It was really, I mean, it was eaten all over the country at one point. If you look back into the 17th and 18th centuries, there were accounts from London, Samuel Pepys, had it, for example. And even down in Sussex, there was a, a chap called Thomas Turner who lived in a village not far from where I live. And he kept a diary and he talks about having tripe on a regular basis, uh, just saying he paid four pence for a two pounds of tripe in 1757, things like that. So yeah, it was once widely eaten. And I can't believe when you look at how far back in history it goes, it wasn't at some point quite highly spiced. Mustard, I think, is one of the things I think was traditionally served with it. So maybe that's what we need to do, a mustardy sauce rather than or put mustard in the sauce with the onions. I don't know. Yeah, a mustard bechamel, that would probably be good. I wanted to get some practical experience of cooking some real tripe. It was hard to find somewhere that still sold it because they keep going out of business, it seems. But um, I did find someone, and that's Chadwick's. They have a stall at Berry Market. Uh, they've had them for over 100 years, selling black pudding. Well, at first, anyway, and making their own black pudding. Then they've broadened it to tripe, cow heel, trotters, perhaps those other things we associate with 
cookery in the north of England. I went there just a few days ago. I spoke to boss, Tony Sinacola. Obviously, that's not a Chadwick name, but uh, he's married into the family. (laughs) And I wanted to find out about the stall, the eating habits of his customers, as well as the decline of tripe and tripe selling in the north of England. I must say they were doing a roaring trade when I was there. But um, yeah, let's have a listen and see how I got on. Hello, Tony. Thank you very much for letting me come and have a chat to you at your amazing stall here at Berry Market, world famous Berry Market. World famous, yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, well, you sell a variety of things. I see you've got a lot of black puddings, but the thing I've come to talk to you about today is tripe. Yeah, well, we sell a lot of that as well. Do you? We do, yeah. Now we can get it. Um, oh. Historically, every town had its own little tripe dressers. Yes. And slaughterhouse. Yeah. So it was really easy to get hold of. The 60s, it started to be getting harder because the big slaughterhouses all conglomerated. Mm-hmm. So it was harder to get hold of. Yeah. These days, all the little track dressers have gone. So there's one right. left that we know of in the country. Wow, whereabouts is that? That's in Leicester. Leicester? Yeah, yeah. That's where everybody who still sells tripe gets their tripe from. I believe so, yeah, yeah. So it's shipped up to the northwest, mm. then it gets delivered to all the stalls. And is it just England, do you know, that it's going to? Is there, is there much of it in Wales or Scotland or Ireland? To you... be fair, honest answer to that is I haven't got a clue. <laughs> That's but, all right. <laughs> I mean, there's still you still get it on the continent. You still get it. It's mass produced on the continent. I guess that, that's what I was kind of getting at, really, I suppose, because you hear that it's cooked all the time and it's uh, just another food that people eat. It's just part of their regular menus, whereas here it's become so niche and so associated with the north of England. Perhaps, but we've got people that are from Eastern Europe who come and get it. Right. Italians come and get it. And Chinese, it was Chinese New Year a couple of weeks ago. We sold out of everything. Because people make it into like a hot pot, they describe it as, which yeah. is a stew that they all have for New Year. Yeah, I've had, so that's the only time I've had tripe, and that, that was at a Chinese restaurant in Manchester, <laughs> yeah. and I think it might be the thing you're describing. Yeah, yeah, probably. So yeah, I've never tried any British or English recipes or anything like that, and that's kind of what I wanted to do to do today, really. We we do have loads of uh, product that we can we that we sell and we do recipes for. I mean, we've got Ooh. everything from the three bellies of a tr- of a cow we do okay. pig's belly we oh. do pig's feet cow eels it's all part and parcel of still on the market a good tradition right well it's good to know that it is a good tradition and there's a quite a wide range of ages buying it would you say or is it definitely geared to the kind of a more senior um, members you'd be surprised it's right across the age range. right okay Pe- people who are buying it who are younger tend to cook it make it into stews and pasta and things like that. So it's maybe still being passed down in families as a I think food so. tradition. Oh, that's good to hear. I hope so. That's my future. So, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I would say 10 years ago, I saw tripe in most butchers. And then over the last couple of weeks, as I thought, oh, I'm going to do an episode about tripe, couldn't find any. It's got so expensive. That's one of really? the other reasons. Yeah. Uh, obviously, beef's gone up. The products that they clean it with, cook it with, and everything else has gone up. Mm. Plus... Because it has to be transported, I pay more now for it wholesale than I used to sell it for a year ago. Wow. So it has gone quite a lot. It's really changed. I guess with it being awful, it spoils quickly, so it's got to be processed quickly. Yeah, same day, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, do you know much about the tripe dressing process? Because you get it, when it arrives with you, it's already dressed, Mm -hmm. which is what? Cooked? Cooked, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, So a tripe dresser gets it straight from the animal. 
and has to go through all the processes to get it to the end what we get literally cooked ready to go on a plate so right. that the dressing parts I, I've been into the factory but they won't let you go too far in you know because <laughs> they, they want to keep it secret they want to do the oh, really? same as okay. us with our black puddings at our factory would you mind if we moved around the stall a bit and had a look at the different types of tribe not a problem I'm only familiar with one so I'm interested in what the other kinds are no worries meet you at the front okie doke there's a surprising range of things down here (laughs) (laughs) so the basic tribes are black tripe seam tripe and honeycomb okay they're all from a cow yeah we've got pig's belly which is the equivalent from a pig oh okay then we've got pig's feet Mm -hmm. which are oh yes cow eels I must say the honeycomb tripe does look beautiful are you going to have a tripe I'm, I am going to have a try. Yeah, yeah now? I'll have a try now. Yeah, go on. Yeah, sure. I shall do you a little bit. Go on, then. It always looks to me like it's something like tofu or something, in that um, it's maybe text- more textural, and it's maybe about the things that you eat it with. That's the picture I've got in my head. Um, I quite like it in the summer, mm. with um, lots of fresh lemon juice on, mm. olive oil. And fresh garlic. So very Mediterranean. Yeah, put it all together, give it a stir in the fridge for it, and it, the lemon juice almost cooks it. So ah, it, it okay. gives it again a different texture. Right, we're going in. It's very um oh it's good. <laughs> for starters. That's good. And it's very mild flavour and I'm trying to think it reminds me of something that I've had and I can't quite place it's it. It's just got that little bit of a beef taste with it. I suppose that's what it is that I'm yeah, tasting. Yeah, yeah. But I can imagine having that with olive oil and, and lemon. In the summer, we also um, slice it up, slice up red onion, put them in a, a jar, top it up with apple cider vinegar, and then pickle it for three or four days. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about the old tripe, uh, tripe and onions? Is that still a popular Lots dish? of people ask us how to cook that. So that's with the thick part of the seam, mm-hmm. cooked in milk with onions and then thickened up at the end with corn flour. Oh, okay. Not my cup of tea, that one. It, but... it feels like it's a bit too bland or something. I feel like you need something quite punchy with it. Like when you, yeah. said, when you said lemon juice, it's like, oh, I Salt could see how that would be good. So the vinegar fills up every hole. Fantastic. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm going to have a go at cooking a couple of things at home. No worries. I'm going to try tripe and onions because I feel it's a classic British dish. <laughs> and then I'm also going to go historical and try a 18th century recipe that I found where it's deep fried in butter. Yeah, well, a it's, lot of people it, um, fry the black tripe, fry that in butter in a pan and mm-hmm. then add oxo. Oh, okay. Mm. What is the black tripe? Is, that, it's just is it just different... undyed or something? No, no, it's the first stomach on the cow. Right. A lot more body with it, um, and it's, that's the colour it is. Right. Okay. I must say, it doesn't look quite as appetising as the honeycomb. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Each to their own, isn't it? Well, yeah, indeed. How long has there been a stall here? Um, Chadwick stall? They've, they've been producing black pudding since 1865 as a family. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, 1980 with the tripe. Yeah. Which we used to get delivered from Padium. Again, another factory that's gone. You Gosh. know, they just, they all go. 
So what do you think the future of tri- I mean, sorry if this is a depressing question. Um, what do you think the future of tribe is in, in Britain? A lot of people, a lot of people eat it. A lot more than you would imagine. Mm. And we sell a lot more. But 20 years ago, we sold four, five times as much. Mm. So that's probably the future. It's just going to get less and less and more niche. Are you the only um, tripe seller on Berry Market? Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, was it kind of dotted with a, you know, half a dozen um, or whatever? No, no. We, we just... We had a queue just for tripe at one time, you know. It's, oh, did you? Yeah. It's just... <laughs> But at the time, you could get it everywhere. You'd get it at your local butchers, your local market. You could even get it backpacked in Morrison's up to about 18 months Ooh, ago. Yep, I've seen so, it in Morrison's. Yeah, yeah, so it was readily available. It just isn't anymore. Gosh. Well, I'm definitely going to take some to cook at home. Oh, of course. Well, I think I'll, I'll get the... Um, what was the type again called for tripod onions? Thick seed. I get some thick seed. I get some honeycomb as well. I no think, um, and I get a couple. I get a couple of black puddings as well. Whilst no whilst I'm here, uh, but thank you very much for sparing the time to have a chat with me about this. And I'm excited about what I'm going to make at home. I'll let you know how it goes. That was no idea. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Well, you know, I recorded myself doing a little cookery spot, but um, yeah, I'm not. You're not hearing it. Oh, really? <laughs> Was it that bad? On other podcast episodes, I've done little cooking spots and um, I quite like doing them, mainly because when I first started doing podcasts, I don't don't know about you, but I was very self-conscious, especially, and it's weird, especially when I'm on my own, which is odd because there's no no one to see me (laughs) be embarrassed. But what I found is if I'm cooking something or making something, it made me less self-conscious. So I would be doing the thing and then be talking about the thing at the same time. So that was the plan with the tribe. But it's not how it went. Oh. Um, well, first of all, so yeah, so I made two things. I made deep fried tripe. It's an Elizabeth Raffled recipe. Oh, okay. Is that in her housekeeper book? It is. Oh, okay. It's, there's only one tripe recipe in there. And it sounds a lot like maybe the one that you mentioned by Robert May. Was it Robert May that you said did a, did a deep fried one? No, Meg Dodds, I found a deep fried recipe. Um, Meg Dodds, Re- Robert okay. May, did, he does one if... I. Oh, that was a garlicky one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, garlic. It's like pickle tripe. I'm sure it's got vinegar in it or verjus, oh, and, okay. and and it's got lots of garlic, which is even for Robert May, it's quite unusual. Uh, he does use garlic, but mm. uh, it's um, garlic and mustard. It sounds it sounds almost like a tripe salad, I guess. If it's to say, if it's already cooked in Elizabeth's book, it's it's to souse tripe, so it's both deep fried and it's pickled. Oh, okay. But it's it's pickled in a it's pickled in a brine rather than a vinegar. You, you put it in some salty water. So I just did a, a weak brine because I, I did it in the fridge. So I thought I'd yeah. have to do a strong brine just for 24 hours. Uh, I think I did a just a 5% brine. Next day, patted it off, cut it into chunks, made a batter of eggs and flour. I put a bit of milk into. Basically made a, a pancake batter or a Yorkshire pudding batter. And uh, I bought some lard because I thought, well, we need some good animal fat so it can be a really high temperature so I can get an ultra crispy, delicious soused tripe thing. And I thought, well, that sounds like calamari or it sounds like scampi. Yeah. So I bought some lemons. So I could squeeze some lemon on it and some tartar sauce. Not very 18th century, not very Elizabeth Raffle, but I thought this sounds like scampi. So I thought that's, that's what I'll do. 
The good thing about doing this historical cooking malarkey is you can kind of pick and choose when <laughs> <laughs> when you want to be historical and when you want to kind of be modern. And oh my gosh, it was just a disaster. It looked really good. So I dipped it in. It was beautiful. These lovely squares of nice uh, frilly batter, like little scampies. And well, first of all, it was pretty salty, which is, well, I don't mind salty, but it was just a square of rubber. Oh, really? And the smell of hot tripe is very different to the smell of cold tripe. Oh, gosh. And suddenly, not the same as Andouillette, not as strong as that, but it was there was definitely a, um, a crossover in the Venn diagram of aromas somewhere. <laughs> and I just thought, no, I couldn't do it. I tried the thick seam. I tried the honeycomb. And it was just... You couldn't chew it. Wow. It's like chewing some you know, undercooked fat on a, on a joint of meat where you're just like Ugh. chewing away, gnawing away, not going. And I just thought, this, what have I done wrong? It's already cooked. I read so many recipes saying, yep, yeah, you just pop it in, deep fry it, delicious. Yeah. That is not what happened. It was just so rubbery and gross. And I just thought, maybe it just needs longer cooking. Maybe, I don't know, it, the, it was a different kind of tripe that I got and it needed cooking a long time. I just toughened it up. It's a deep fried tripe. Deep fried tripe is definitely a thing in France, in, in Lyon. It's a tablier de sapeur. It's it's the fireman's apron, which doesn't endear it. But it mm. but mm. it's really popular. And even Rachel said she'd had deep fried tripe. It was really lovely with a glass of fizzy wine, as she said. So, yeah, how odd. So I thought there must be something going on here. So I thought, okay. Let's go tripe and onions. Actually, I've, I've got a slight intolerance to onions, so I had to go tripe and leeks. <laughs> and again, I started recording it, thinking, okay, I'm not going to be dissuaded. I just cooked it poorly the first time. And yeah, I, I based it on a couple of books, but I definitely, like you, thought, let's go St. John and let's have a look at Fergus Henderson's book. And he just made it sound so delicious. And the thing that really encouraged me was the fact that it said... Um, You've got to be careful with tripe because if you cook it too long, it gets so soft and melting, it almost disappears, I think he says. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is going to work. So off I went and I cooked it for two hours in milk with uh, a couple of blades of mace and some salt and pepper. Fairly simple. I didn't add anything else. And it cooked away. And mind you, about um, three quarters of the way of the cooking, which is about two hours, my partner came in and said, oh, what's that delicious, creamy, leaky smell? And then he went, oh, what's that other smell? Oh, no. And I was sat in, the, in my lounge, which is next to the kitchen, doing a bit of work. And I was just saying, I know, I know what it smells like. <laughs> don't have to say does it really smell that bad? It's not really strong. It's really faint, but it's it's a bit... Hooey? It's not an off smell. It's like a wet dog smell, I suppose. <laughs> Stroke taste, which I guess is the problem because you kind of take... You know, sometimes you can taste a smell. Yeah, yeah. You kind of in the back of your throat. <laughs> it's a bit like that. And I thought, okay, well, it'd been cooking for two hours. Every cookbook that I read said, use honeycomb tripe. And do it for two hours. So I felt fairly confident that I cooked it properly. And again, it was just horrible pieces of rubbery, yeah, like chewy, chewy fat. And it and it was so 
that that kind of wet dog flavor was so prominent that I basically had a an Andriette moment again where I was just having to really concentrate on not retching. And I felt really bad because I put quite a lot of effort <laughs> into it. I went all the way to Berry Market and of course spoke to Tony about it. And ugh, I don't like to say this thing very often, but for me, it was just kind of gross. Okay. That didn't go as I thought it was going to go. I was, ho- I was hoping you were going to turn around and say that we've all been misinformed and that tripe is utterly delicious. Well, I hope there's somebody listening that can tell me where I've gone wrong. Because I think if it was tender and delicious, delicious in texture, I mean, I think the, I don't think I would have minded the taste as much. It was that sort of combination. There wasn't very much niceness to kind of latch onto there. But it's hard because when I tasted it at the stall, at, at, at the at Chadwick stall, it was fine. Perhaps we need to just make it into like a salad. I say a la Robert May or someone, you know, just in a nice vinegar or some mustardy sauce. Yeah. If I'd have just taken that tripe, gone home and prepared it like Tony suggested, like a ceviche, he said to slice some onions, I guess I would put some leek and garlic in instead, uh, some lemon juice. Maybe you could put a few flakes of chilli or some chopped chilli in there and some vinegar and some oil and just let it macerate for a, a night in the fridge or something. I got a feeling that would have been really good because when he just gave me that cold tripe straight from the stall, I felt so confident. So I've gone wrong in the cooking, I think. And and I think I've made a mistake and it's just probably a personal taste. I think I've made a mistake in having it hot. I think it's better cold. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I I mean, I've had neither, so I can't comment, but it's it's just weird because other nations cook it and they, they seem to love it. So I don't know where... Well, but maybe it's just us Brits that do it the wrong way. Maybe maybe the, the yeah. onion allium route isn't the right route. Maybe we should be sticking it in a spicy soup or like the Mexicans or, uh, you know, with chilies and or Sichuan pepper like they do in China. I don't know. Uh, or just even mm. a, a nice rich tomato sauce. Yeah. In fact, do you know what? I reckon if you made something like a hot and sour soup with fish sauce in it and loads of lime and chilling something sweet in there, some um, palm sugar or something. I made a really good broth. And I think if you sliced just cold tripe, not, didn't cook it in the soup, but just before presenting, you pop it in just for it to warm mm. through and not cook. So it didn't go rubbery. Yeah. I think that would be really good. And I think you would like that. It'd be like having uh, a faux or a hot and sour soup. Yeah, actually a hot and sour soup, there's often cubes of tofu in there. Instead of having cubes of tofu, some little strips of just warmed through tripe, I think you'd be really happy with that. So spice is the way to go then? I think spice, I think it's upping the flavour and using it as a textural note, but obviously preparing it in the right way because you don't want bits of rubber like I did. (laughs) Well, that's such a shame. Have you spoken to Tony to ask him to ask his advice? No, I'm embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Too embarrassed. Even the second way, it was still completely inedible. It was more inedible the second way because the um, the smell of the tripe because it had been cooked for so long was really pronounced. So the tripe and onions was worse than the deep fried tripe. It's annoying because it's kind of my MO. You know, I'm always banging on about how offal's really good and everyone should be nose to tail eating. And all it is is we've had it cooked poorly and we need to get over it. And I feel like... Um, <laughs> I'm going against my 
usual preachings. But I guess you've got to not like something. Yeah. And maybe for me, the thing I don't like is tripe. I wonder where people would get tripe then if they did want to try some. I mean, I'm not sure if we've encouraged anybody to go out and try some. Maybe Chinese grocery stores might have some in their freezer. That seems to be the most, if you're not in the North, if you're not in the Northwestern near Berry Market. Uh, I believe there are a couple of places in London that do sell it, but I think you can also get it online. Mm -hmm. If you do, if you search enough, you can find places that will do, I guess it's like you say, it's probably frozen when it arrives, but you can get tripe online. Well, I hope there's some people out there that first of all can say, right, you two, you've been approaching this completely incorrectly. This is the right way to go when it comes to eating or cooking tripe. It'd be interesting to hear what other people think about tripe today. And I hope I'm encouraged or, or that we're encouraged but, uh, by the fact that maybe there's more people out there eating tripe than we than we think. Definitely. I believe there is some sh- other chefs out there as well, beyond Fergus Henderson, that are still big fans of it. So perhaps they can enlighten us as to the best way to prepare tripe. People should get in contact, I think, if they can give us any cooking tips. And some sourcing tips. Yeah, definitely. And from other countries, of course, that isn't, you know, that's not England or the UK. It'd be interesting to see some other interesting ways that people are preparing tripes of all the different kinds. Or perhaps we should just go to St. John and get them to cook it for us there. Yeah, just get it done (laughs) properly. Yeah, a good point. (laughs) Still on the menu. They do. Is it still on the menu? They still have tripe at their different restaurants on the menu. I can't remember last time I looked at it. They had a, a jellied tripe for a starter. Jellied tripe. Jellied tripe. Again, if it's the same texture as that tripe that I had on Chadwick Stall, and if it's a good flavoured jelly, you know, with lots of, I don't know, Madeira and other things in it, I could see that would be fine. And they did have deep fried tripe with chips and ketchup as well as pickled tripe as well right. on one of the menus I saw recently when I looked. Well, maybe we need to go on a trip. Yes. St. John's <laughs> and have a slap-up tripe meal. Yeah. Tripe for starter, tripe for main, <laughs> tripe for dessert. I think you've made me a little afraid, though, Neil, after <laughs> description of your experiences of cooking it. No, I feel I feel a failure, Sam. <laughs> I won't deny it. I think you shouldn't beat yourself up. It's, uh, it's just obviously a technique out there to make it delicious because it was po- so popular once upon a time. People can't have been eating it because it was like rubber or eating a, a plimsoll or something. It's, there must have been, it must have been delicious and cooked in a delicious way for it to have been so popular and to have merited having restaurants as well. Well, exactly. I've got a feeling it's one of those things where if somebody took me and showed me how to make tripe and onions and I could see it being done, but it's really hard to to write these things down. So maybe something was just being lost in translation when I was reading the recipes. Mm, maybe. Or maybe not. Oh, no, it's such a shame. You had such a horrendous time. Well, I'm, you know what? I'm undeterred. I still think the Mediterranean way is just the way to go, like I say. Mm. So that's what I'm going to do. So next time I'm in Berry Market, I will be buying some tripe. And I'll be some honeycomb tripe because that was the tenderest. I'm going to try it as a ceviche sort of style cold salad. And go from there. I think that's definitely the way to go. Hats off to Neil for going over and above in his research into tripe. But we still don't have the answer to the best way to cook it. Can you help? If so, let us know in the comments on Substack or on social media or drop me an email at comfortablyhungry at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out Neil's website, britishfoodhistory.com, where you can find links to his podcast of the same name, details on his books, and lots of delicious recipes and interesting historical food posts. 
and thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please let myself and Neil know on Twitter at SJFBilton or at Neil Buttery. You can also find us on Instagram at Mrs. Bilton, that's with two S's, and at Dr. underscore Neil underscore Buttery. And if you really love this episode, please rate and review it on Apple. It really does help listeners locate and engage with the show as they explore new podcasts. If you'd like to discover more about my work, pop along to sambilton.com, where you will find details of my books on gingerbread and saffron, as well as the Comfortably Hungry blog. You may also want to subscribe to the free Comfortably Hungry newsletter on Substack, which complements this show. It includes recipes and more detailed notes from the season's episodes. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple, among other platforms, so that you never miss an episode. I'll be back on the 22nd of June with another austerity podcast, where I'll be taking a metaphorical role in the hay. But until then, take care. This podcast was created, researched, produced, recorded and edited by Neil Buttery and Sam Bilton with music and sound effects provided by zapsplat.com.